Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hi. Hello. Welcome back to Old Millennials, a deep dive on shallow topics from the late 90s and early 2000s. I am one of your hosts, Margot Poupard. And I'm your other host, Emily Beijen. As one wise housewife once told us, the crown is heavy, darling, so leave it where it belongs. Not everyone can carry the title of pop punk princess, but today we're going to talk about two women who certainly tried and to whom Hot Topic owes a quite a bit of credit to. Oh, yeah. Avril Lavigne and Fifi Dobson. Oh, Personally, I don't think I would ever call myself an Avril fan. She loves ballads way too much, and it's not punk enough for me. But I understand why she is so important to the capital C culture. As a matter of fact, one of the meanest things I ever did in high school was make fun of Avril Lavigne to get back at someone that I did not like. And I did this by ripping out a photo of Avril from like a teen beat or a YM or something like that, where she had, you know, her little skinny tie, her little ribbed tank top, her like Dickies shorts that like only white guys from San Diego I've ever seen wear um, with her <laughs> with her little witch socks and like her brand new Chuck Taylors. And I took a Sharpie. Well, and I also convinced my best friend Marianne to do this with me, took a Sharpie and we pointed out everything. We looked up how much it was at Hot Topic and essentially was calling her a poser because before there was standum, the worst thing that you could ever be was a fucking a poser. poser. Oh my God. So <laughs> then. I did the and same thing. I now. really could not stand her because she was trying so hard to prove that she was more authentic and real than any other pop star. So we had to break down her look and we took the photo and, you know, obviously in your binders how you have like the clear, yes, um, the clear little slides so you can promote something and that's where we put it and we would walk with it like face out, like down the hallway in high school to be like, yeah, that's not fucking punk. We're fucking punk. Suck a dick. We listen to the crass. You don't know what punk rock is. So I did something kind of similar in that I had so I was I started out as kind of an Avril fan like I, I got her album I think it came out right as I was graduating eighth grade and then I went to high school and the people I hung out with were like man she's such a poser and I was like yeah she's such a poser <laughs> and like proceeded to give my sister the cd to be fair though by that point I was like a little annoyed that like yeah like what you were saying it was all very much you could recreate this look at hot topic I think what I've ultimately found as an adult uh, and by te- and as I was texting you earlier today about this is that I found myself really enjoying some of her early tracks and, and her music, uh, particularly I'm With You, which I, as I told you, listened to over 10 times in the last 48 hours. But uh, ultimately, when you get to read a bit about Avril's choices and her personal life, you're like, oh, oh, <laughs> 
Yeah, there's, I mean, as I was texting you about it, like, even the songs that I do like, like, I'm with you, and I even like complicated and mm-hmm. um, like what was that song off of the, her other album? There's another song that I like of hers that again, like I told you in this text thread, like I even forgot what it was called, but when I heard it, I was like, oh yeah, this. Um, but it's there's something about like our spirits just do not agree. Like Avril Lavigne, that little captain from Below Deck Sailing Yacht, like there are just some people you see them and on site, you're like, I just there's something that we're like never gonna quite click. So it's very hard for me to give her props, but. But her early album, you know, maybe it's just because I'm listening to way too much Olivia Rodrigo right now. But it has sort of like a similar sort of like you can see the promise of the artist. For sure. In the future. Although she has taken a couple Gwen Stefani like turns. And I do think that her and Gwen Stefani have some interesting parallels in the sense that they like have this very. Except I think Gwen Stefani pulls off the quote unquote authenticity of being sort of like counterculture better than Avril perhaps well, did, I, but they both kind of have some similarities. Like they're both kind of like conservative. They both sort of project to be, you know, maybe a little bit more like tough than they seem, but like their lyrics sort of betray how kind of conservative they are deep down. I think the biggest takeaway from all this research was how fucking young she and Fifi for that right. matter were throughout yeah. this whole thing. Gwen, when no doubt became big, she was like 27, 28. Like they had been a band for a decade. But she had been that in that point. band. Yeah, I was going to exactly. say, she had, still had been in the band and had like gotten some success even right. early on, like maybe not on a giant scale. And then it's also like she got that, she got those braces like halfway through that you were like, wait, how old are they again? I so. <laughs> was wild. And I think what's interesting too is like ultimately, we we had a lot of like discussions around authenticity around that time where like mm-hmm. Avril was considered a poser and to be fair like she was wearing an entire uniform that was clearly just bought out of a hot topic but on the other hand it was kind of funny to think like you know why are we giving this girl you know just as much so much shit so much shit for something that was being done by every label at that point right like, the I, also no one's thing. <laughs> No one's going around questioning why Mark Hoppus dresses like he's 15, even though he's 25. You know exactly. what I mean? Like there, exactly. there really, no one was interrogating that. I mean, the early 2000s were not a great time to be a woman in music or, you know, a woman, I suppose, at any point in time, <laughs> as we are slowly starting to discover. 100%. Um, but I... I think that she was like as authentic as like the next person. Right. And I don't know where the obsession w- came from of like, you have to be like really real. Like nobody, nobody's really kind of checking for her like that. But on the flip side, I'd say that like, even though Fifi Dobson's career was way more up like high highs, low lows kind of thing. I, I think that maybe in the end, her career evened out a lot better than Avril's career yes. has. But uh, what I find interesting is that I, because of like the mismanagement by her label and I'm sure she experienced all sorts of racism, but she only had those two singles and I never, the two singles happened and then she disappeared. And then like, now she's just sort of like, remember Fifi Dobson, you know what I mean? And so I feel like she wasn't subjected to, I I feel like as much discourse, maybe if her label hadn't dropped her and maybe there wasn't some mismanagement on that side, there would have been, you know, some um, questionable, um interviews that we would be looking back on but maybe she she dodged a she dodged it for lack of a better term by having her label drop her and have all this sort of like complications happen to her that happened to a lot of like early pop stars i think with fifi as you just said like early success she had a bit of it 
then it didn't really go anywhere. And then she is like the ultimate victim of like being dropped by her label. And we'll get into this like literally days before the second album was slated to be released. Um, and even all the but, shit that happened around her second album was yes, just like, yes, what wild. the fuck? Yeah, absolutely wild. And and we'll get into that. But um, I think what's interesting is, yeah, does Fifi Dobson ultimately because of the industry's racism, because of the choices that were made by her label and that kind of thing, at the time doesn't get the success that Avril Lavigne gets, but ultimately seems to have a career now that she has a lot of um, autonomy around. Like I was reading an article in Nylon where she was interviewed. Oh, I read the same one. Yeah. Did you see, I mean, so you read the part where like she would go in to labels and stuff and they would call her Brandy Spears because they thought that she should be like an R&B artist. And they were also, they were asking her like, oh, can this black girl like pull off the same thing as Avril? It's like, Yeah. And honestly, kind of better. I feel like her debut album has, I mean, but also it's because I don't love ballads and Avril's whole thing is ballads. It was a very different album. Like Fifi Dobson's album is a lot more upbeat songs. Like I was listening to it where I, with Avril. I told you that first. It was such a fun song. That very first song on Fifi's album, I was like, this is a jam for you because she does a bunch of like ska, pick it up, pick it up. And I was like, that's that's an Emily tune. That whole album was so much fun. I was listening to it, not really knowing all the words, but like I found myself not skipping. Whereas with Avril's album, like I I was finding like the three or four songs that I really enjoyed Mm -hmm. and played over and over again, but then found myself skipping because there was a lot of slow stuff. And not to say like, I think what, what the other thing that comes out of this whole thing is that both of these women are phenomenal songwriters um, who ultimately because of stupid men or, you know, various other reasons I don't think have been recognized as much as songwriters as they should be. Right. I mean, Avril, unfortunately is probably now best known for marrying the dude from some 41 and the dude from Nickelback. Yes. Whereas I feel like Fifi has gotten to write for a lot of other artists and keep that kind of going. And I really, I don't have any, you know, nostalgia for her first album. I really don't even remember it coming out and it would totally be marketed to somebody like me. It was perfect age demographic or perfect demographic, perfect time. I just don't have any recollection of it. But until you hear the song, everything, which was on a was in a yes, ton of teen which, movies. Yes. But I had no them. idea who sang it. I had always assumed it was someone else. Yeah. Or just someone I didn't know and therefore would never know because they don't own these soundtracks or, you know, whatever. So at least she seems to have found a lot of success just having her tracks be featured in movies and in TV shows. Like a recent hit like, came from one of her songs like on Riverdale. So yeah. I think it's still working out. Whereas like I think Avril, you know, I, I get in her first section that I go into is her dark origin story. Just kidding. It's only dark because it turns out she's wildly conservative. So, and I think, you know, she got a bunch of shit when she did that Hello Kitty song about um, cultural appropriation and then kind of like got into it. But she's also, in addition to being called like a poser and inauthentic and all this other shit, she's also like a terrible rumor spread about her, like that she's not her, that she like died a long time ago. Paul is dead theory of the millennials. Like it is wild that that rumor came out. Like it, She's had this several internet rumors that have been spread. That's probably the most famous one. Yes. It is interesting that she is the subject of so many internet rumors. Well, and they're all on par with like Katy Perry is John Benet Ramsey. You know what I mean? Like every time you hear it, you're like, what? Why is this still Ted around? Cruz, Ted Cruz is the Zodiac. Okay, but that one's real. Okay. Like That's that one's real. real. 
<laughs> I will say what is interesting is that they 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 kind of get bucketed. Like there are a bunch of weird ones uh-huh. about her fit like dying and all this stuff but then there are also ones so uh, like i told you earlier i'm gonna get into some fake lyrics later but those weren't the only fake lyrics apparently like attributing fake songs to avril lavigne on lyrics websites has been a thing that people have been doing for almost 15 years at this point <laughs> i don't get it people are weird man tumblr you know what i blame tumblr, tumblr is weird Fucking yeah. tumblr i mean just saying that it comes from Tumblr actually makes it make a lot more sense to me. 100%. <laughs> All right. Well, let's get into Avril Ramona Levine. I'm sorry, wow. but in my limited experience, the only good Ramona is Ramona Beasley. End of list. Okay. So, this is true. Avril- <laughs> Even Maggie, was born- Maggie Gyllenhaal, I think, named her daughter Ramona. And I watched that. I love Maggie Gyllenhaal as an actress, but I watched that AD tour with her and Peter Sarsgaard. It was like Brooklyn snob to an extent that I have never experienced. Sorry, please go on. So our Avril Ramona... <laughs> I'm going to call her Avril Ramona from now on, uh, was born in Bellevue, Ontario, Canada. She is named for the month of April. It's Avril in French. Mr. and Mr. Levine took note of her vocals at around age two when she sang Jesus Loves Me. See, there's the there's the start of the conservatism. At five, Levine's family moved to Napanee, a smaller Ontario town of about 5,000 people, which is very small. Her parents supported her musical ambitions, and her dad, Jean-Claude, a musician himself, got her a microphone, a drum kit, a keyboard, and several guitars. He even converted their basement into a studio. At 14, her parents began taking her to karaoke, and before long, she was performing at county fairs covering Garth Brooks and Shania Twain. Then she moved on to writing her own songs. Her first song was called Can't Stop Thinking About You, which was obviously about a crush. She's also a double threat in the sense that not only does she sing, but she plays hockey and was an MVP multiple times which was shocking, but also makes sense why she's like has the whole skater persona yes. later on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In 1999, she won a radio contest to perform with Shania Twain, Wild, at the Coral Center in Ottawa for an audience of 20,000 people. Twain and Levine sang Twain's song, What Made You Say That? That's After that, song. during... Yeah, it's also... Yeah, it's just... It's so all Canadian. Of this is so, it's so Canadian and so random, though. Like, nobody gets to win radio contests. Any- Usually when you win a radio contest, you get, like, tickets to, like, Fifty Shades of Grey. You don't yeah. get to perform with Shania Twain in, like, a real arena. It's This no. is, like, American Idol shit, not, like, quaint Canadian radio shit. <laughs> so after that performance, while she was performing at the Lennox Community Theater, Levine was spotted by a local folk singer, Stephen Med. He invited her to contribute vocals on his song, Touch the Sky, and she would go on to sing vocals on two more songs for him. In December of 99, she was discovered by her first manager, Cliff Fabry, what a name, while singing country covers at a bookstore in Kingston. Fabry sent out VHS tapes of Levine's horn performances to several industry prospects, and she was visited by several executives and eventually found Mark Joette, a co-founder of a Canadian management firm, Network. But Network is spelled um, N-E-T-T. W-E-R-K. So, yeah, you will be hearing from RuPaul's lawyers very soon, I'm sure. (laughs) 
Uh, they received a copy of these tapes, and he arranged for her to work with a producer named Peter Zizzo during the summer of 2000 in New York. And that's when they wrote the song Why, which then got her noticed by Arista Records. So in the fall of 2000, L.A. Reid was invited by Zizzo to the studio to hear Levine sing. In her 15-minute audition, Reid was so impressed, he immediately signed her to Arista for a deal worth $1.25 million for two albums and an extra $900K for, pu- for a publishing advance. And she was 16, 17 at this point. Crazy. So, yeah, I know. That's way too much money. I know a dude from college who got drafted by the Nets and they gave him like a dumb amount of money. And the first thing he did was literally blow it all and like nope. buy a Range Rover. No, I'm like, you don't do that. You live in New you York. Watch, you do you, not need a car. You do not New need York. a car. You watch the ESPN 30 for 30 broke and you learn. Oh, do you, you think that dude invest. has ever? No. That education? What's that? Are you kidding me? <laughs> Anyway, Avril being the age that she was and the year that it was, she was big into skate culture already, which was obviously a theme that carries through her debut album and all of her music videos that follow. After signing her record deal with the support from her parents, she dropped out of school to focus on her music and she got with a band who were all new. They were all new to the scene and they had like a pop punk sound already and they were called Closet Monster. They they were sort of set up by network because they really wanted them to be like young, like Avril and also possibly Canadian if they could do that as well. Fun fact, one of those members was actually uh, part of like the early iteration of Sum 41, like before they got famous. That makes sense because I thought I remembered you mentioning this yeah. during the Sum 41 episode. So in the production of What Would Be Let Go, Joshua Sarbin was given the responsibility of overseeing her development and the recording of her debut album. So they spent several months in New York working with a bunch of different co-writers and producers trying to find some sort of individual sound for her, but it wasn't really working. So they shipped her off to L.A., the town, not the man, and she began finally to find her sound with this producer duo, The Matrix. They've worked with Maya, Liz Fair, Hilary Duff, Britney, you know, all the greats. They recorded Complicated, one of the better songs off of that album, along with With You, as we have previously stated, and they finished Let Go by January of 2002. So by June, it was released, and Let Go went to number two on the Billboard charts. It peaked at number one in Australia, Canada, and the UK, and at 17, this made her the youngest female solo artist to have a number one in the UK. By the end of 2002, her album was certified four times platinum, making her the best-selling artist of 2002. Oh, I'm sorry best-selling female artist of 2002 let go was also the top-selling debut of the year something about her low-slung skate pants tie stringy hair was a relatable enough teen costume to launch her and her entire career she obviously had like a fun angsty debut album that had an air of authenticity that we were talking about like she plays guitar she writes her own lyrics like her label was trying very very hard to convince you know, what would turn out to be millennials, that she was much more credible than Britney or even Christina. Uh, As of March of 2018, Let Go has gone platinum seven times, meaning she has sold seven million copies. All three of her singles, Complicated, Skater Boy, and With You, all cracked the top 10 on the Billboard chart. This made her the second artist in history to have three top 10 songs from a debut album on Billboard's mainstream Top 40 chart. She also won Best New Artist at the MTV Video Award for Complicated. She won four Junos and was nominated for eight Grammys. And the following year, she was the Rolling Stone cover girl. So did you know that David LaChapelle directed our favorite music video? It explains why it's one of the best. Also, the Hunger Games guy, uh, I forget what his name is, Francis Lawrence, he directed Skater Boy. And there are so many like corny, like, rock on hand singles. Oh my God, it's a lot. 
Yeah, she just like she's always like putting up her like her little like I'm a rocker like hands, and it's very, um, it's charming as they cause a complete traffic clusterfuck in a very busy part of downtown. That made me the most mad as a a thirty something was just like, how dare you ruin people's commute home. <laughs> After this, she scored her first headlining tour in 2003 called Try to Shut Me Up. And now I lob it over to you. Wonderful. So I'm going to go into her follow-up to all that called Under My Skin. It was released in May of 2004. Went number one in Australia, Canada, Japan, UK, US. It was a huge album. Sold over 10 million copies. And she kind of broke away from working with The Matrix in this one and actually co-wrote with Chantal Kreviasuk, who is like a very famous Canadian singer-songwriter, uh, was really big in like the 90s and early 2000s. And fun fact, is also married to one of the members of Our Lady Peace, so another very Canadian marriage. Um, and then <laughs> she also, and coincidentally, was also one of the other uh, co-writers on this, um, Rain Maida, who, by the way, I'm so sorry if I butchered the pronunciation of his name. She also co-produced this album with Butch Walker, and he becomes a frequent collaborator of hers in subsequent albums. Um, this is really where she kind of shines as a songwriter. She had several singles like Don't Tell Me, My Happy Ending, Nobody's Home. Um, and some of these weren't as successful as, you know, her first album, Let Go, but ultimately kind of solidified her as a songwriter. And it would end up happening that she would go on to write, co-write the song Breakaway for Kelly Clarkson, which was originally featured on the Princess Diaries 2 soundtrack and later on her all killer, no filler album, Breakaway. Um <laughs> And so, I mean, those are nothing but big facts. Big facts, indeed. I mean, she she's co-written for a lot of people over the over time, um, mm-hmm. and not so she is very much a songwriter in her own right. And then over time, uh, sh- this album, you know, does fairly well, but really going into two thousand five, this is where the interesting like personal life start stuff will start happening. So, in two thousand five, she is continuing the tour um, that she is touring on her album, uh, which is called the Bones Tour, like Bones with a Z. Which oh god, I don't know why. I don't know why. Um, but she's I'm con- very glad we're past this point in culture where we have to add a Z to shit. Like it's okay, we can just leave it. <laughs> It really is. Um, I mean, this was 2005. So I think this was really the last the last of it all, at least I hope. So I she then goes into, you know, on this Bones tour, supporting her Under My Skin album, which several times when I was writing these notes, I almost wrote as under the or in this skin, which is the Jessica Simpson album. But anyway, later that year, she gets engaged to Derek Wibley of Sum 41 in 2005 after they've dated for a few years and been friends for about four. They'll get married the following year in 2006 in Montecito, California. 2006 is also when she will begin work on her follow-up to Under My Skin, which will be titled The Best Damn Thing. She released the song Keep Holding On for the Aragon soundtrack, which was like a big fantasy film that was released Mm -hmm. in November of 2006. Unfortunately, this is where she begins her work with Dr. Luke. Uh, and this Oi. is what begins my the section of my notes I've titled, Oh No, Why Did Every Mid to Late 2000s Pop Star Work with Dr. Luke? Keep Holding On would go on to appear on The Best Damn Thing, which was released in April 2007, debuted at number one on the U.S. Billboard 200. 
Dr. Luke produced seven tracks on the album, including the hit single Girlfriend, which became Levine's first number one single in the U.S. Billboard Hot 100. Girlfriend was recorded, fun fact, in Spanish, French, Italian, Portuguese, German, Japanese, and Mandarin. And if you remember, had a really fun remix featuring the rapper Lil Mama, where she's like, Lil Mama and Avril Levine. Anyway, that was a fun one to re-listen to. Also, I'd like to take this moment to acknowledge that The Guardian, in an interview with Avril Levine, called this song a, quote, Hey Mickey style rager about home wrecking. I mean, they're not wrong. They're when not I read that, wrong. I was like, and that's also why they can put it in like 78 languages because it is so generic, which sounds like an insult, but I don't mean it that way. Like it's no. difficult to write stuff that is you're able to universally translate. And I universally think universally translate. Your, hey, hey, Mickey, you're so fine style really lends itself to that because it's also familiar. It was a very popular style. I mean, Lil Mama had lip gloss, which was very similar style. And uh, and this was not far after um, Gwen Stefani, Hollaback Girl. Like this was a very popular mm-hmm. style for a while. Um, so for, sure. other, for other producers on the album included Mac Beckley, Rob Cavallo, and Avril Lavigne herself, who was actually credited as the executive producer. Um, Rob Cavallo, worth pointing out that he's known for producing a ton of 90s to 2000s like rock alternative albums, including Green Day's Dookie, Insomniac, Nimrod, American Idiot, and Bullet in a Bible, The Goo Goo Dolls, Dizzy Up a Girl, A, Bo- a Boy Named Goo, and Gutterflower, and My Chemical Romances, The Black Parade, which makes a lot of sense because I feel like uh, around this time, Avril did have like a hint of an emo pop punk edge. Um, and mm-hmm. I feel like The Black Parade is just like this like emo rock opera of sorts. So it kind of works out perfectly. The Best Damn Thing would go on to sell over 6 million records globally and spawn four singles. She co-wrote all the songs on the album. And as I mentioned earlier, co-wrote a lot of them with Dr. Luke, as well as Evan Tobinfield, who was the guitarist in her band for many years, as well as Butch Walker, who I talked about earlier. And then Cara Diaguardi, who is a very big writer. Um, we were talking about Breakaway by Kelly Clarkson earlier. She wrote like seven of the songs on the Breakaway album. Um, Christine Aguilar's Back to Basics album and also like Ashley Simpson's first two albums. So all very on brand with that album Avril released. It should be noted that in 2007... This is the year when a bunch of internet lyrics sites start featuring the lyrics to a fake Avril Lavigne song called Dolphins. While Lavigne has never recorded or performed this song, and there is no proof that she has ever wrote, written these lyrics, because the internet is a weird and wonderful place, people have gone out and recorded quote-unquote cover versions of the song despite not having any sheet music. I have to take the time to read some of these lyrics because they are amazing. And I don't think I will have laughed harder on this podcast than the time I had to read Tyrese's shade Instagram post denouncing The Rock and the Fast and the Furious spinoffs. Hashtag <laughs> Roman Tej, Hashtag never forget. Hashtag fast family. Hashtag fast nine out June 24th, I think. They are not paying us. I'm just excited. We're so excited over here. <clears throat> dolphins are you dolphins are me dolphins are everyone that includes you and me they love swimming with people like you and me dolphins live in the ocean dolphins live in the sea dolphins live in a nice clear blue sea they are accompanied what? spelled a-c-o-m-p-n-e-e-d by a lot of what? sea animals we love them you love them i love them who doesn't love like them and here are the final final lyrics here 
Give me a D. Give me an O. Give me an L. No. No. Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. Give I me an this. H. Give me an I. Give me an I. Then put it all together. And what D-O-S-E it's spell. What? And those are the lyrics. <laughs> Why is this happening to me? <laughs> because Tumblr is a fucking weird place. I feel like insulted for her that people thought she wrote that. That's like an Elliot Kalen from the Flophouse Letters song. Like, it doesn't make any sense. Makes no sense whatsoever. Um, I mean, I know that she does the whole girlfriend, like, spell out sort of. And, like, we were into, like, spelling things out loud in songs at some point, you know, bananas, etc. But why would she spell out dolphin? I don't know. (laughs) To her credit, she is far too good of a songwriter. She is too good of a songwriter. (laughs) No, it's insulting that people thought that that was true. Again, Ted Cruz, Ted Cruz being Zodiac Killer. Sure. Avril wrote this song. What? That doesn't make any sense. And I don't even really like her. Uh, in 2007, she would win two World Music Awards. She won two MTV Europe Music Awards, a Teen Choice Award, and was nominated for five Juno Awards. And she was ranked number eight in Forbes magazine's list of top 20 earners under 25 with annual earnings of $12 million. In, oh, a, in a section I've titled hashtag free Avril, she spent Uh-oh. most of 2008 supporting the Best Damn Thing album with the Best Damn World Tour, which featured 100 concerts in North America, Europe, and Asia. During the Asia leg of that tour, leading up to her performance in Kuala Lumpur, uh, Malaysia's Islamic Opposition Party, the Pan-Malaysian Islamic Party, attempted to ban or at least postpone her show because the concert was scheduled two days before Malaysia's Independence Day. And since Malaysia is a large Muslim country, it was thought that her performance would promote Western values and that her moves were deemed, quote, too sexy. On August, oh, you know what? Yes. I do remember this because I, I remember laughing. About it. I remember laughing at them being like, "She's too sexy, and her moves are too. She's going to seduce everyone." It's like she doesn't have moves. She doesn't dance. That's not Avril's like shtick. I don't really know who thought that, but like, if she tied a scarf around a mic stand, I'd be like, "Oh, guys, watch out! She's stepping up." <laughs> but like, I'm not saying that she's not a charismatic performer. I'm just saying that like. She just plays the guitar a lot of the time and just like sings. There's I just... minimal, minimal dancing, minimal dancing. But it also, to tie it back to some 41, you know, keeping it all in the family, the family being Canada, it just sort of kind of has shades of some 41, like almost getting stuck in South Africa. That oh, time oh, Rwanda. That they yes, yes. Rwanda. Yes. I'm so sorry. Oh, no, sorry. The I... Dem- Democratic Republic of Congo, DRC. There we go. Okay. It- we we got there finally. We, it third time's the charm. Third time, or not the charm. the charm if you're some forty one and almost getting stuck there in the middle very, of like a coup. Very true. <laughs> so anyway, that has shades of this to me. It, but, it really you know. does. On August twenty first, two thousand eight, MTV News reported that the concert had been approved by the government, and that year she would go Phew. on. Thank <laughs> God, right? She'd go on to work <laughs> on her fourth album, Goodbye Lullaby. Sadly, though, in 2009, we would see the end of the Canadian pop punk match made in heaven when October 9th, 2009, Avril Lavigne filed for divorce from Derek Wibley, releasing the statement, quote, 
I am grateful for our time together and I am grateful and blessed for our remaining friendship. In 2010, she recorded a song for Disney's live action Alice in Wonderland and then also uh, designed a line of clothing with Disney, which I was really hoping would have Hot Topic vibes. It did, but it was sold at Kohl's and not Hot Topic, Uh surprisingly. I think they were capitalizing still on Nightmare Before Christmas there, so maybe too many Disney (laughs) movies in one one store. She would also go on to... She would co-write with Max Martin a song for Miranda Cosgrove titled Dancing Crazy, um, and it was also produced by Max Martin. And then her song was sampled by Rihanna on the track Cheers, Drink to That, which is featured on the album Loud. Goodbye Lullaby would take two years to be released um, and would finally be released on March 2011, pushed back several times uh, due to various label conflicts with Avril. They wanted to go in different directions. She had to go back to the studio to re-record things. And at one point, she even had strep throat and the people involved in the production were required to wear masks And despite her doctor's warning, she started recording and, of course, was not able to sing for a while. Um, But the album would go on to sell over 3 million copies, spawn a few singles. um, And then she worked on that album with Max Martin, Shellback, Butch Walker, and her ex, Derek Whitley. And this was her last album with RCA. And for now, I will go into a small epilogue of Avril Lavigne's career for the last decade. I feel like in the 2010s, Lavigne becomes more famous for her relationships than her music. After divorcing Wibley, she dated Brody Jenner from 2010 to oh, February right. 2012. <laughs> and then in a quote, this can't get stranger moment, she began dating Chad Kroger, the lead singer of Nickelback in July of 2012. After they met while working on her self-titled fifth album, they got engaged after a month of dating and got married at the Chateau de Napoul, de la Napoule, a reconstructed medieval castle in the south of France in 2013 on Canada Day after a year of being together. And then they would separate three years later on and she would announce this via Instagram. And then later she was roommates with post-divorce and dated Ryan Cabrera. So very interesting times. Why isn't Avril on the hills? I don't understand. You know, if they get a third season, I'll bet you a drink that she's on it. She better be. I'm going to write MTV a strongly worded email. Be like, look, guys, you got to get her on. She's dating that weird dude, mod side. Like her oh my taste God. in men is so deeply upsetting. Like just love yourself. But I think that's maybe what I don't like about Avril is that she's always sort of projected herself to be like, I'm one of the guys. I'm not a girl's girl. Girls are mean. They do drama. And she's like friends with you all of her exes. And this, I'm like, why are you, you friends with all hit, of your exes? Hit the nail on the head. That is probably the reason why I can't fully, I respect her. I think she is a great songwriter. Yes, then- definitely like a ton of respect. Like she's great at she's a good songwriter. She's great but at what she does. Absolutely there's right. Just she's a guy's girl. Vibe. Total guy's girl. You know yeah. she's that chick in high school who you befriended. And she was just like, just so you know, I haven't really had many girlfriends in my lifetime because girls are mean to me and get jealous. Like there's she just a like lot reminds of me of um what Portia Williams recently did, which was like, oh yeah, I'm not friends with that girl, even though she is now engaged to this woman's ex husband. It's like interesting how you don't know her, but she was your friend on the show. 
Interesting. Very interesting. And I feel like everyone would do something kind of similar and be like, I just like, girls are just like such haters. And you're like, okay, I know everything I I need to know now. I'd like to preface, I went into this research with an open mind. Like, I really think Same. she got- I desperately got wanted my mind to be changed. Was criticized I for really dumb did. things. All these, all of that. Like, really, again, but then doing all this research, reading her interviews, watching some video clips, I'm like, oh, this is not great. Not great at all. But And some of it is like, you can't blame the label or your management no, anymore. And no. I really genuinely, that's why I wanted to do her early- part of her career because I genuinely wanted my mind to be changed. But by the end of it, I was like, Alyssa Edwards gift, like you were that girl I thought you were like this whole time. So thanks for letting me know. But I do walk away with more, I guess it wasn't any disrespect towards her, but definitely like a respect for her craft. But that's kind of where it ends. And, you know, some empathy for some of the mean, the meaner conspiracy theories around her. You know, it's like she just has Lyme disease. She's not dead. Like, why we got to do this to her? Totally. That's all I have for Avril, though. Um, But I think I can kind of go into our next person that we're going to talk about since I'm talking about her early career. So ultimately, Avril paved the way for a lot of female pop punk singers. And I don't mean in the sense that like it's she walked so they all could run. I just mean that labels were more willing to sign these women. Um, And this Mm -hmm. includes Sky Sweetnam, Haley Williams of Paramore, Lilix, Ashley Simpson, and our other focus for this episode, Fifi Dobson. And it should be noted that Avril, behind the overuse of eyeliner and wristbands and Fifi Dobson, are both incredible singer-songwriters, as we discussed earlier. Felicia Lily Dobson, a.k.a. Fifi, was born February 28th, 1985, fellow Pisces, in Scarborough, Ontario, which, like, by the way, I love that between Sum 41 and Fifi Dobson, and Avril to extend, although Napanee is not a suburb of Toronto, but we've really covered a lot of Ontario in the last couple of episodes, but I digress. She went to high school at Wexford Collegiate Institute and later graduated from Heritage Park Public School. As a kid and teenager, she took singing lessons at the New Conservatory of Music in Agincourt, Scarborough. And by 11, she was recording tapes of herself singing on a karaoke machine and would send them to record companies all over North America and began writing songs at 14. A year later, she'd get some interest, but because, you know, race, people are racist, she's half Jamaican. A lot of labels wanted to position her as this pop R&B artist, and she was a lot more of a rocker chick. And she actually got an offer to sign with Jive Records when she was 15 um, and worked with them for a bit, but ultimately did not go with them because they wanted her to be a pop princess. This was 2000, so peak Britney. Jive Records was clearly looking for someone else to kind of go into that uh, position. Luckily for her, holding out was the best choice because of Avril Lavigne, Sum 41, Good Charlotte, all kind of this big pop punk boom coming off of like Blink-182 would bring on this new wave of labels looking to sign people with a similar quote unquote vibe, if you will. Dobson would later meet Jay Levine, who would be her biggest collaborator on her first album and signed with Nelly Furtado's manager, Chris Smith, who arranged for a showcase that caught the eye of Universal Music Canada's president, Randy Lennox, who later convinced... Island Def Jam CEO Lior Cohen and his head of A&R Jeff Fenster to fly to Toronto for another showcase. According to Dobson in this interview she recent or she did back in like 2004 for The Observer, quote, when I played a showcase for Island Def Jam about 30 seconds into the first song, a punk thrash song about longing called Stupid Little Love Song, which like what an adore, like what a sweet, te- like I love that this is going on for her, like a punk thrash love song. Anyway, 
she said they flipped out and they were already calling up lawyers to set up the paperwork before they left the building. So she would sign with Island Def Jam, joining Sum 41 as label mates and began work on her self-titled debut. The album was written in approximately two years, mainly by Dobson. Jay Levine co-wrote most of the songs with her and other songwriters included James Bryan McCollum, Levine's bandmate from the band Philosopher Kings, who had also written for Nelly Furtado, James Blunt, Backstreet Boys, Sean Mendes, Louise Fonzi, and Lisa Marie Presley. Her self-titled was released December 9th, 2003, and was pretty critically acclaimed, though it sold about half a million copies, which like in 2004-ish times was like kind of the beginning for a lot of people in terms of what you would see in uh, album sales. It would reach number 26 on the Canadian charts, number one on the Billboard Heat Seekers chart, um, and would spawn four singles, Bye Bye Boyfriend, Take Me Away, Everything, which was featured on One Tree Hill, and the Perfect Score soundtrack, which is a really fun song I liked. And then Don't Girl, uh, sorry, Don't Go, Girls and Boys. Throughout t- 2004, Dobson and her music were featured in a lot of soundtracks, as I mentioned earlier, and shows at the time, including Raising Helen, a Tommy Hilfiger commercial that featured her, and the TV show American Dreams, which you might remember would have um, American Bandstand recreated. And they would have like pop stars of the time, like play famous 60s pop stars. So she played Tina Turner um, doing a cover of River Deep Mountain High. She also got to open for Justin Timberlake during the European leg of his Justified tour. So she was doing like fairly well and did like a few appearances on TRL, was on some like uh, magazine covers and that kind of thing. She received two Juno nominations in 2005 for Pop Album of the Year, but lost to Avril's album Under My Skin and lost New Artist of the Year to Feist, actually. So... Very, hmm. yeah, which I mean, that makes sense. That was when like Feist was becoming really big. And I think she had just left broken social scene. So um, did you say it was 2005? Yeah. Yeah. So that's yeah, like, tracks. yeah. Is that tracks. my moon, my man? Or is my moon, I think my so. man like 2006? <sighs> I don't it remember. Matter. I think it we're in agreement that it makes sense that she won and it sucks that she got beat out, but it seems like it was pretty tight competition that year. For sure. Dobson also saw some pretty decent success uh, with her single Take Me Away, which was like her biggest charting one in the U.S. It was number 15. Mm -hmm. It got some airplay on TRL and MTV. Um, And then ultimately, re-listening to this album. It was also in a bunch of like rom-coms too. Yeah. So that one was like a couple teen shows. Everything was definitely the one that got. Everything was way more prevalent. Yes, 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 yes. But both were featured. I, rem- sure. I remember hearing them so exclusively in movies and TV she and not did, that much on the radio. I don't want to say she got the Rita Ora treatment because that sounds horrible. But I just mean in the sense that she was – the label at the time was clearly doing a lot of promotion with her to mm-hmm. be on various you know, soundtracks, featured on shows, interviews, that kind of thing. But A honest- prelude to Rita Ora. <laughs> <laughs> but re-listening to her album, I will say, like like you, I was kind of aware of her at the time. I did not own this album. I, I liked a few of the songs that were played on TV shows and whatnot. But it was a lot of fun, not really full of skips, like a really decent album. And she was a very good writer. Um, and ultimately, mm-hmm. I think she would have been six, way more successful had the industry not been so racist and also just... The way she was positioned, she was so positioned into this rocker chick Avril look that I mm-hmm. think if, she, if the label had gone with what she wanted, which I think was somewhat rocker, but, you know, probably not as Avril-y of it, you know, as they made her out right. to be. Not like, um, 
Yeah, not trying to have her directly compete with Avril, maybe position her more in like a... I don't know, like, like she's a lead singer of a band, like for a lot, I keep thinking about Selena Gomez because I know that she's written some songs for her, but like there's like Selena Gomez in the sound or whatever, like yes. her little backup band the was scene. at first yeah. before yeah. the scene. Thank you. Before she was just Selena Gomez and they could have positioned her more like that instead of like a direct competitor, but like, obviously racism plus short-sightedness of execs that are like oh you're canadian you can kind of sing like avril we'll make you black canadian avril lavigne and it's like well maybe that's not the best idea yeah and i think that leads itself nicely into my my last section which is what i called the wildest getting dropped by the label story ever her second album sunday love was originally scheduled for release in 2005 but after complications during production its mainstream release was canceled and she le- and she was ultimately dropped by her label. So according to this interview she did with Nylon last year, it got shelved because what we've seen when we're, you know, talking about one hit wonders and one album wonders on this podcast, labels get bought out, people get fired or there are cuts, things happen. And this is very much what happened to Dobson because of these changes at the label there were people who were laid off at Island and the budget cuts resulted in Dobson getting dropped by the label days, days before the album was released. Promotional copies of this album had already been sent out. She had already gotten a lot of good press, including the highest rating in the July 2006 issue of Vibe magazine for any of the album reviews. So all these promotional hmm. copies were out there. Um, and they were kind of rare at the time. So they made a bunch of, they pressed several promotional copies, but the actual like album release never happened. So there's all this hype. Ultimately, she had a fully completed album ready to go and worked with this like all-star group. Like she, she wrote and pre- wrote with Veruca Salt's Nina Gordon, letter to, letters to Cleo's Kay Hanley, Matthew Walder, oh, wow. who produced Tragic Kingdom, Cindy Lauper, Courtney Love, Joan Jett, Jesus. Rancid's Tim, like she, Tim Armstrong, she just had the most like star powered second album I've ever heard of. So after mm-hmm. this album gets canceled, she commented on her, this is very 2006 MySpace blog quote. I always <laughs> believe everything happens for a reason. And that change is a very good thing. Though Dobson's second album remained shelved for several years from an official release standpoint, she continued to promote the album and songs from the album would go on to be recorded by other artists don't Let It Go to Your Head was covered by several artists, including Jordan Sparks. As a Blonde was covered by Selena Gomez. Um, and then ultimately, Dobson, in this interview that we were talking about from Nylon Magazine, recalls watching much music and then seeing Miley Cyrus singing a song called Start All Over. And she's watching this and realizing that she recognizes the song because it's one of her songs. Um, but seeing like all these you know pop stars ultimately record her uh, her songs from that second album, which didn't get a full release until December 18th, 2012. And that's really what I have for Fifi Dobson and her first two albums. Well, she has one more album. And in the run-up to the release of What Would Be Joy, she was just performing a lot. She performed at the 2009 MTV Video Awards, some 9-11 concert with Cobra Starship, which actually kind of sounds familiar. Her song, I Want You, was used in Drew Barrymore's Whip It. She performed ahead of the 2010 Winter Olympic Games. No one told me that. She opened for Bare Naked Ladies in some all-Canadian concert. She performed River Deep Mountain High again. Please, everybody watch the Tina documentary on HBO. Yes. 
Um, so she she wraps all of this up around April of 2010 after she plays a 20-city Canada tour called The Show Must Go On. She finally gets re-signed to Island Def Jam by L.A. Reid, and Joy was released in November of 2010 after almost four years of being in limbo. Joy is a nice blend of her pop-punk roots mixed with a little bit of like the indie sound from the early 2010s that were very prevalent. And so her hits Ghost, Stuttering, and I Can't Breathe were pretty buzzy and had charted at least significantly in Canada, but it was also preceded by two buzzy singles, Watch Me Move and I Want You. She performed her single Stuttering on an episode of the CW show Hellcats, and the clips also remixed the song later on. Famously, what would have been her second album, Sunday Love, ended up being released after Joy and provided a lot of songs for up-and-coming pop stars like Selena Gomez, Miley Cyrus, Jordan Sparks. And then after that, she released Firebird, and that would be her fourth album. It was released in January of 2013, and it spawned three singles, Legacy, Celebrate, which was used for the 2014 Winter Games and In Better Hands. In 2019, she married Yela Wolf. Uh, They've made a bunch of music together, like that song that was um, featured on Riverdale that I mentioned earlier. Mm -hmm. And she told Nylon, which if you want to know what Fifi, Fifi Dobson is up to, highly recommend reading it, that she's working on a new album that's supposed to come out at some point this year. But mostly in the interview, she talks about how in the four years of being between labels and not sure what she was doing or where she was going, she was really able to develop as a songwriter and realize that she has really like a a gift for it. And if you go back and listen to the songs that, you know, that are better known by Selena Gomez and Miley Cyrus, they're really good and they're really fun and they're different enough from like a Selena or a Miley take on it that it sounds different. It's sort of like I will always love you. You can listen to Dolly Parton's version and you can listen to Whitney's version and they are different, but both are great in in their own rights. I would 100% agree. But, you know, I guess I just, my takeaway is that Avril is a much more talented songwriter than I gave her credit for. And I do feel like we were all robbed of Fifi Dobson in one of those sort of like sliding doors. If the timing was different. Yeah. If... If people didn't get laid off or if the record label didn't get absorbed by a different record label and she got left in the dust, if, I don't know, Complicated didn't take off, like what what it would have been or what would have been like if instead of trying to make them direct competition that they could just, I don't know, be on the same tour bill together or something. You know, why couldn't you do like Canadian pop punk princesses, fans warp tour 20, I don't know, 2010. I don't know. We could have done that. Why do we, why does everything have to be a competition? I agree. I mean, at the time, I think there are a couple points. One, I think they really made it so that only one could rule. One hundred percent, and that's really well, bullshit. That's how they do it. That's I mean, of course that's how at, they do it. That's look at always Brittany a case. and Christina. It's like yeah. there is room. There's room for fucking everybody, there but they is. want you, especially if you're a woman. They want you to know there is one fucking spot, and to take it, you've got to step on all these other bitches. So, do you want to be number one, or do you want to be the one that is a number one, like one hit wonder? I 100% agree. And I think the other thing that I really loved about Fifi's kind of epilogue, if you will, is also that Mm -hmm. she was featured on the soundtrack to this movie that I just recently watched called Unpregnant, which was on Max, I think on HBO Max. And it was with Barbie Ferreira, who I love from um, Euphoria. And a really great movie. And the song I listened to was really great song. I enjoyed it a lot. She actually lives in Nashville, which is like where you live if you're a songwriter Mm -hmm. other than LA and maybe New York. Um, But I kind of love this, you know, second chapter of her life. She was specifically 
um, had Linda Perry reached out to her to write this song for the movie, which I thought was really sweet because Linda Perry, for those of you who don't know, is the lead singer of the Four Non Blondes, gone out on to be like a major songwriter for Pink, Christina Aguilera, and like many pop artists in the last. I have a years. question. Yes. I don't think that Linda Perry is as known now for being in Four Non Blondes. Yes, to us, but to like other people because Correct. she's been she's been on so many other shows as this. I mean, she is an extremely prestigious songwriter yes. and prolific, and she yes. every fucking song you like probably has her hands on it somewhere. So I would say I, I don't know if she's necessarily known as Linda Perry from Four Non Blondes. It's just like Linda Perry. The the fucking Linda Perry. I gave him. So for to be fair, I I did that. So the connection. So those people who would know who she was in the four non blondes would have been like, oh, my God, that connection. But yeah, I agree. She is definitely much more known these days as a songwriter and producer than she would be. Maybe that's in that band. Maybe that's more of like a who weekly question. But, you know, you you catch my drift. Totally. I read she she got she was reached up to her personally it she wants to work with her on this new album so fingers crossed for some new stuff i think the time is definitely right and she talks a lot in the nylon interview about how she loves that currently she can have there's no genre that they're trying to stick her in and i think that that's really good for her music because she's like i love that i can listen to a country song and then the next track will be like you know, a heavy R&B song and then it'll be like a rock song and it can all be from the same artist. And so I really look forward to whatever she's going to put out. Yeah, I, I feel the same way. I really enjoyed listening to her full albums and realizing, mm-hmm. oh, man, we have no choice but to stand. Exactly. Well, thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, Oh, look, if you scroll in this feed, we've got other episodes, super specific episodes, too. So if you don't like whatever topic we have going on, just take a look-see. There's like, I don't know, 60-some-odd episodes for you to choose from. We also will be putting out a mini at some point soon recapping the newest season of The Hills because not a lot happens episode to episode. We're letting it kind of build up before we get to that point. But please, if this is what you come here for, please know that that is coming. Also, if you enjoyed this podcast, make sure to subscribe to us or leave us a review. We love reviews. And the best way to keep up with us and what we're doing is to follow us on Instagram and Facebook at The Old Millennials Pod. And if you want to know what Emily and I are up to individually, you can follow us on Twitter. I am at Marg She Wrote. And I'm at Emily A. Beijing. And until next time, we say bye-bye. Bye.